and I can't believe I'm about to say this, a slightly raunchy song about fruit. Hello and welcome back to Witch Fix. Today we're looking at The Wicker Tree from 2011, and this is a sort of spiritual successor to the original Wicker Man film, which I just recorded an episode on yesterday. I don't know when you guys will have heard that, if there have been intervening episodes, but today we're doing The Wicker Tree. Don't know what to tell you. Now, I know nothing about this film really going into it, aside from the fact that it features as its protagonists some Christian singers from America, which is a change of pace from, you know, law enforcement from mainland Scotland, and also that it's called the Wicker Tree, and if the trend continues, two people are going into a big tree made of wicker to be set on fire. So, without further ado, I'm going to jump in. I am going to trigger warm because some scenes in this film are similar to situations of sexual assault, although no actual assault takes place. We start the film heading to Dallas, Texas, y'all, where we are introduced to Beth, a ditzy little Taylor Swift lookalike person who is singing Christian music on the radio. She then gets into a big white limo and goes off to meet Steve the Cowboy, that is his only personality trait, and they make out in the limo, which does not seem very Christian. They then go to their church, which it seems a little tacky to turn up to church in a limo, but that's just the kind of people they are, I guess. And their minister says that they are giving two years of their lives to God by going to preach to the heathens in Scotland, which is weird. Like, they definitely have churches in Scotland. They definitely have religion in Scotland. So it's unclear why they're just going there. They're not even specifically going to the area where the pagans are. So that's a little bit weird. Uh, and they are planning to get married when they come back. So I guess we're meant to take from that that they haven't had sex yet because they're Christians and they're not married. So they wouldn't have. We then get a shot of what we're told is Scotland. And then the text over top says, Scotland, the borders with England. It's like, oh, okay, now I know where we are. There's definitely places that you could have referenced as opposed to just saying that, but okay. We're on a country estate with vintage cars and horseback riding. This reads very much to me, not only England, but also England in Downton Abbey and nowhere else. But um, apparently this is Scotland. We hear a lot of power tool noises and the camera takes a quick trip downstairs so that we can see blood splashing up a glass door because someone is cutting meat with a circular saw, which seems concerning and would probably ruin whatever you were going to do with that meat. Beth uh, is then in concert at a local church with Steve, who doesn't sing. He just kind of stands there and then does some ministering. But they meet Delilah and Sir Lacra Morrison, who I'll be calling the Lord, because who has the time, uh, who are apparently their sponsors in coming here. So obviously they're evil. And then they prove this by as soon as Beth and Steve kind of walk past them, uh, they have a little chat where they say, oh, they're both perfect, and then start talking about Beth's breasts and how she probably has a whiffy muff and various other things. That's not a direct quote, I just can't remember what they actually said, but there was something about muff in there. They're having this conversation very loudly and sinisterly in the middle of a church, and this is basically my main gripe with the movie, which was by no means terrible, but did miss one incredibly important fact, and that is that in the original, 
We got there kind of slowly. We definitely saw that something was strange and up with the villagers, but we didn't see them doing sinister stuff in private. We only saw what the protagonists saw. But right from the get-go, we know that something bad is happening. And I'm not saying that you can't play that and have it be this sense of dread that the audience knows something bad's going to happen. Because after all, this is basically a sequel to The Wicker Man. And the one thing everyone knows about The Wicker Man is that the unsuspecting idiot gets set on fire at the end. So as an audience, we're already going in knowing this is going to end in some sort of horrifying violence. So by all means, put that into the movie in no uncertain terms from the beginning. My issue is that they continue to do the other stuff. Uh, like the kind of leading things and saying things that are just slightly off as if suggesting that maybe something sinister going on when the audience already knows that and the characters have no reason to want to try and tip off the, the main characters they're supposedly unsuspecting victims so it makes no sense and comes off just really weird as do the moments of cheesy screwball comedy which i'll comment on as they arise Anyway, once the discussion of Beth's muff is out of the way, I wonder how many times you can say muff in a video before you get demonetized. I was never monetized, so I'll have at it. Muff, 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 muff. Uh, Delilah wastes no time in hitting on Steve by telling him he looks cute without his cowboy hat. Whoa there, Nelly. Pull on those reins. You're going far too far too fast. Uh, but then Steve and Beth go back to their hotel room uh, where they're drinking champagne and making out, which again does not seem very Christian. They then have a little bit of a grope sesh, but when Steve tries to undo her dress, she reminds him of their promise rings, which are very important to them because they are remaining abstinent until marriage, which Steve says he will never get used to or worries he'll never get used to. So this sort of implies that they are born again and have had previous sinful lives, uh, which is further confirmed when the news following up the story of Beth's arrival in Scotland plays a clip of her country music video from a long time ago which is called I've forgotten the name of the song but let's just say trailer trash muff uh, where she kind of dances around in a little mini skirt and to be honest it's still stupidly tame like it's not incredibly raunchy or filthy it, it's no Christina Aguilera video from the early 90s so I don't really see what the issue is, but Beth definitely hates seeing it and seeing that side of her career. Uh, so obviously that's going to come back and bite her later. She does, however, assure Steve that when we're wed, you'll be sure you married a Jezebel, which seems like kind of hypocritical. And a general theme of, of the film, I think, is their general hypocrisy because they are drinking and they're definitely making out and engaging in sexual behavior whether or whether or not they have sex is irrelevant they're kind of following the letter of the religious law as opposed to the spirit of it which would be abstaining from any of that behavior entirely and from various things they say throughout the film you get the impression that they haven't really looked at their faith that much they don't really engage with it aside from as a set of rules to follow to the letter and not to think about uh, Beth and Steve then go preaching which goes about as well as you'd expect uh, because a lot of doors get slammed in their face Delia then says that they will probably have better luck with the country neighbours of herself and the Lord uh, back on their like estate in the middle of the village. So clearly that's where everything's going to get freaky. Uh, they are driven there in a car which bears a statue similar to the angel of whatever it is that is on the Rolls Royce. But this is referred to as the goddess of Sulis and was specially made 
uh, for the Lord's car because it's the goddess that they worship. So this is the first indication that we get about this. In the car, Delia then starts to question them a little bit about whether they believe, as born-again Christians apparently do, that even people who have never heard of Jesus, who live on like uncontacted islands that no one's ever been to, will bleed to death on Judgment Day for not being Christian. And Beth says she isn't sure, but the Bible is truth from God. So if it's in the Bible, then yes, it will happen. So this again kind of shows the two sides that we have of our main characters in that they are both painfully naive and ignorant and also paying lip service to a faith that they don't really understand, which is quite different to the main character of the original Wicker Man films because I feel like he fully believed in everything and definitely extrapolated from biblical law when tackling different issues and could articulate his beliefs a lot better than these two can. For some reason on the way they stop off at a nuclear power plant where the Lord just has to sign some paperwork. I guess this is just a flimsy excuse to show the nuclear power plant which is probably going to be worked in the story somehow. He says when he gets back into the car that everyone around there works for him so very similar to the Lord Summers Isle set up. When they arrive at the village they are introduced to Lolly who is the head groom looks after all the horses and instantly has Steve's attention because she is a woman and she has a horse and those are his two main interests aside from hats. Uh, so there's a little bit of uh, kind of verbal teasing going on. It's pretty clear that something's going to happen with him and Lolly. It's during this car ride as well we get more of that kind of sinister BS but we've already been shown that these people have nefarious plans so who is this teasing at something sinister going on meant for? It makes no sense. The car pulls into the village and the village people gather to watch them go by. Uh, they seem to be predominantly middle-aged men. Uh, there's some women sprinkled in there for flavour, but there we go. It sort of reminded me of the village where I live, uh, <laughs> which is disturbing slightly. They also meet a guy with a crow who talks only in like weird poetry and it's called the oracle um he's in there to give this film pretentious points i guess uh, he's feeding the crow from a basket of dead baby mice as you do because we need to put some creepy stuff in this film it's meant to be a horror oh no we forgot we then get some fisheye bird vision or bird eye fish vision we see from the point of view of the bird for no real reason and this happens multiple times they're told that Steve and Beth will be split up because of, you know, their chastity promise. So Beth is going to stay with the housekeeper at the, the main house and Steve is going to be staying with Peter, who is a guy we see in this scene and then maybe once later, but otherwise is absent from the film. Lolly goes to the police station to meet Orlando, her boyfriend, who is annoyed that the first holiday he had since he moved there has just been cancelled. So obviously he's like a new arrival at the island and I thought maybe he would be sort of a third character combined with the two protagonists as, as trying to fight his way out of this village. I got kind of Nicholas Angel hot fuzz vibes from him but we only see him in a couple of scenes and uh, he's just kind of there for no real reason. Steve confesses in the pub to some of the yokels that he no longer gambles, but he does give a super drawn out Bible lesson based on cards. Like he pulls them in numerical order and he's like, the one card reminds me of the one God. The two card reminds me of the two books of the Bible. And he goes all the way up to like Jack's. 
Like, this takes forever. And it was stupid and I didn't want it in the film. I hate him. Fuck Steve. Beth is doing something mildly more interesting. She's introduced to three seamstresses who are working on the May Queen dress, which does actually look quite nice and like something from the cover of the Midsummer DVD that arrived recently, which I can't wait to watch. Um, so clearly they're like preparing for the, the May Day festivities. Mary, the housekeeper, explains that May Day is older than Easter and is about celebrating the moon goddess. We'll see when we get to the end of the film that most of the sacrifices that they make, uh, they mention the sun, sort of like they did in the original movie. So it's sort of like halfway through they forget about this whole Sulis moon goddess thing, which uh, is a shame because I was kind of into that. Mary then invites Beth to try on the May Queen dress, which Beth does. And to be fair to her, it is a lovely dress. So I'm with her on this. Uh, so she puts it on and then invites them to try it on after her because she's kind of hogging all the fun. And they say, no, only the May Queen may wear the May Queen dress. And we think that you would make a great May Queen. So she's very flattered. She seems to have a lot of pride, like with the whole limo thing and the fact that she just has all these adoring fans chasing after her, or like four adoring fans, because I guess the budget on extras was tight, but you know what I mean. So I I'm guessing she kind of embodies this sort of sin of pride. Meanwhile, Lolly and Orlando fuck. Uh, and uh, she mentions that there's like a record or something that some famous dude came five times in a night and tries to get him to go to seven with her, which, believe it or not, is of plot relevance later, and I can't believe I'm saying that. Uh, so there we go. Meanwhile, in the pub, finally done with his playing card lecture. Uh, I, I hate him so much. Steve decides to go to bed, but is sort of disturbed by a woman who is at a piano singing, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, a slightly raunchy song about fruit. Clearly, this is the devil's land. So this is sort of like the landlord's daughter bit from the original movie, but it's even less saucy now because it's just a middle-aged woman playing this sort of song and singing like, oh, her apples were firm and ripe and her muff was made of spaghetti and various other things that were kind of vaguely not raunchy. But then he goes to bed and while he's lying on bed, he dreams, hallucinates, or imagines, unclear, what appears to be Beth lying next to him, naked, but covered from neck to ankle in different kinds of fruit, so you can't see any part of her body. She saw Karma Miranda's hat and was like, yes, that, but everywhere. So that's not raunchy either, and I'm starting to think that Steve is just really unimaginative, but the whole fruit lady thing was really weird, so um, that kind of made me laugh and it was about half as funny as other things that occur in the film. To get rid of this wanton temptress covered in orange slices like she's prepared the snacks for the local football match, he puts on his hat which has a bullet hole in the top from when his dad fired a gun at him a bunch when he was drunk. Lovely family. And I think the hat kind of represents to him that he has been saved by God because the bullet didn't, you know, dome him but he puts the hat on and the vision of the naked woman goes away so clearly it's a magic hat that kills boners the next day he goes out and rides the horse that lolly was riding yesterday which he was told you know he should go and ride because it's a lovely horse i don't know anything about horses so i i guess it looks kind of nice it's no Sundance. Says he's going to arrive to the old castle and when he leaves, the stable lady says to a random passerby, oh, he's gone for a ride to the old castle. He'll not get far. 
which makes you think that something bad's going to happen, but really just means that Lolly is naked halfway there and he stops to chat to her. Now, here is where he does a series of things that didn't seem very in character because she's just naked and waist deep in the river and appears to be doing some sort of like prayer or yoga. Unclear. But she invites him in for a swim and says, Sulis is lovely this morning, which is the name of the goddess. Um, and then he does. So that's weird. You'd think he'd see this for what it is, a moment of temptation. But he seems blissfully unaware. And even he like strips off his clothes, which fair enough, you're going in a river. But he takes off his underwear as well, which just seems like a step too far. I feel like day one of Bible camp should probably be, no matter what, keep your underwear on. But... He gets naked and gets in the water. She explains that the river is Sulis's sacred spring. And again, Steve reiterates that he believes whatever's in the Bible. He doesn't really examine faith that much because she asks him, why can't he believe that this river is holy if he can believe that a virgin gave birth to a son? So again, it seems like this sort of unexamined life of ignorance that he's living. Uh, Lolly then invites him to be the Mayday Laddie. So clearly he's like the other half of whatever's going to happen. She explains, much like in the first movie, the laddie is the best of everything, king for a day, uh, the golden boy, and then propositions him and they have sex. So he's not worth the paper he's written on is Steve and that paper will be very wet by now. But he doesn't seem to put up even a token resistance. Like this is the first time he's tempted and he immediately gives in. I'm not counting the fruit lady as a temptation because come on. Afterwards, Lolly remarks that Sulis unfortunately cannot give her a child. So obviously right away I'm thinking, oh, okay, this nuclear power plant has fucked everybody up. No one here can get her pregnant. I see you, movie. Um, but she says that she is what the goddess wants her to be, which is all things to all men. So essentially implying that she just goes around being beautiful and sexually available. And Steve says, we have a word for people. I'm sorry, I didn't do the voice. We have a word for that. When people I came from, that's terrible. We have a word for girls like that where I come from, and it's not a pretty one. And then he immediately follows that with, but I guess you're different. Apparently this is enough to get her to fall in love with him, because I don't think they have any further contact, and yet she's head over heels by the end of the film. I don't know what to tell you, because he basically just dropped, you're kind of a slut, and then also followed it up with, but not like other girls. Yikes. Steve also at this point realises that his purity ring is gone and accepts it's lost because once it's gone, it's gone and he obviously knows that he has done a bad. Then we get a meeting of the Lord and some random people at the nuclear power plant who are discussing an accident that happened 10 years ago. So that's probably where all this stuff kicks off. A lady we never see again, but who is called Patricia, says that nuclear power is too expensive and also too dangerous for them to live near. To which he responds that the sun is also dangerous, Patricia. Even though obviously you don't live within like 10 miles of the sun. But he's like, the sun can give you cancer. The sun can burn you and create deserts. And she's like, well, yes, but like water could also drown you. We still drink it. But somehow this is considered a, a, a good argument. And they say that they just have to maintain control over these natural powers and the forces of nature. The Lord then hops in his red sports car with some old guy who we also never see again. Uh, and they drive off having an ominous discussion about how although the river is not poisoned, the water table definitely is. And that's why everyone's infertile but they'll never find out about it <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing evilly they do never find out about it the plan worked 
Beth and Steve then minister to a group of people from the village and hand out some pamphlets. Uh, they then sing a hymn together, the main lyric of which is there's power in the blood of the lamb. And if that doesn't come back to bite them in the ass, then I don't know what will, because when you go to one of these weird cult-like communities, don't give them fodder. Lolly appears outside at this point to watch Steve, and it appears that she has feelings for him somehow. Uh, Beth then accepts the role of the Maid Queen officially, and Steve accepts the role of the Laddie. They then get moved out to the old hunting lodge, which appears to be a sort of pagoda, uh, where they are given some punch and left for approximately five minutes before they will be split up again to prepare for tomorrow's celebrations. Beth senses something up about Steve, because I guess she could smell lies which is weird considering she didn't run screaming from this place. But he says he now wants out of this whole thing and after May Day he's going back to the States, y'all, because he isn't worthy. He's a sinner. She then sees that his ring is missing and he says, can you be a sinner and also a believer? He doesn't understand. He says he isn't the guy for her. And before anything really comes of this, the Lord arrives to take him away to rehearse for tomorrow. While he's gone, Beth plays the cd of her singing the sexy muff song and i don't know why it's in the hunting lodge like did she bring it with her and put it in the cd player knowing that she'd need music later or did they put it there unclear why they would have this but she plays it for like 10 seconds and does a dance but then instantly seems disgusted with herself and turns it off so she's at least got a little bit more backbone than steve but there are ghosts that have more backbone than steve while he's rehearsing for his role as the laddie on the morrow, uh, Steve is told, don't let them trap you before you get to the castle. And once you get to the castle, sit on the ancient stone throne and we will come for you. Which, uh, again, I don't get why they're phrasing it so ominously, which might tip Steve off when the audience already knows that some shit is about to go down. You know, just, just put it nicer than that. Otherwise, if he had two brain cells to rub together beneath that hat, he might get suspicious. Steve stumbles upon the one child that is in the village called Angus uh, and kind of asks like why are there no kids around which Angus doesn't really respond to but he does get his autograph. Uh, there is a party going on and Beth goes to it in a sparkly dress to dance the night away with various dudes. Steve kind of hangs around outside because he isn't feeling the party atmosphere which fair and then later that evening Beth prays to God, giving thanks for her voice and her beauty, and then asking for Steve's love for her to be rekindled. The butler, who is creepy, then delivers her some hot milk, which is definitely suspicious milk, uh, but before she can drink it, the cat does, and then the cat knocks it over because fuck your suspicious milk. We then weirdly cut to Orlando and Lolly doing it again, but this time he's wearing a donkey's head and she's wearing a police hat. So I don't know what's going on here, but it seems more interesting than what Beth's doing. But then, like, they're apparently going for the record that, remember I mentioned that earlier and how it would be important? Uh, he's asking her if she'll finally give him information about the cult that is reported to be in the area when they go for number seven. And then the next scene is just an ambulance. So I guess, absent any other information, his dick snapped off and he died. The next morning, Delia goes up to check on Beth, but finds Beth 
upsettingly alive uh, and the cat dead on the floor so she goes to dispose of the dead cat her and the lords and the butler then conspire and the butler is ordered to give beth a shot of the usual so clearly they've done this before uh, and then to get her ready so maybe the milk was meant to put her to sleep and not kill her but it definitely killed that cat Delilah, this is like the only interesting part in the film, Delilah then asks the Lord about something that Mary asked her previously, which is if the Lord is a sincere believer. And he has an actual interesting response to this. We have a little flashback where Christopher Lee uh, watches him paint the laddie on the bridge and tells him that it's basically all part of the food chain. And man is always wondering if he can change his fate. And the answer is always no, but he keeps trying. So belief is not necessarily a rational thing. It's just something that we can't help. And then he talks to Delia about it and says that if he was um, if he was a priest, his God would be the Christian God. And if he was a Hindu, his God would be yada, yada, yada. And then says the old religion fits our needs at this time. So basically what he's saying is whatever I need to be, I'll follow the God that corresponds with that. And right now I need to be in control of the nuclear power plant, in control of this whole disaster situation. So this is the best course of action. So in the first film, we kind of didn't really know what Lord Summersile was about, whether he did believe or whether it was just a way to control people. But here it is very much a thing of this is just a means to an end for this guy, which I thought was quite interesting because it, it's sort of just a means to an end for Steve, sort of, but Beth definitely, because Beth's whole fame and career is built around Jesus and is built around this religion, which... She doesn't necessarily even know that much about or think about in terms of it being a religion. She just follows the guidebook. Uh, so that was quite an interesting parallel. Unfortunately, from this point, everything goes bong water bonkers. So hold on to your hold hats, ladies and gentlemen. Mayday begins and everyone assembles as if for a fox hunt to begin chasing the laddie. At this point, Lolly cuts what I think is called the girth strap on Steve's saddle. So the bit that holds the saddle on the horse, she cuts that part way through. So at some point that's going to break and something's going to happen. Uh, the butler then goes to inject Beth, holding the largest syringe that I've ever seen, full of black goo, at face level, as he, like, goes behind glass doors to get to her room, so he's not being that sneaky about it. If anything, he's kind of hamming it up, but um, he goes to inject her with the huge syringe full of black shit. She isn't having this, so she stabs him uh, with a piece of the broken milk glass from the previous day. In a following scene, it's revealed that she appears to have stabbed the butler in his nether regions. And this is played for laughs, which is an odd turn to take in this ostensibly horror film. But we see the butler lying on the kitchen table while the housemaid puts ice and alum powder on his partially severed googlies, which is what they call them in the movie. Uh, and then he goes off to recapture Beth who's run off and says he'll return her in mint condition ready for May Day. Beth meanwhile runs through the village knocking on doors trying to get help but nobody hears her because they're all out chasing Steve. Steve meanwhile gets thrown when the girth strap on his horse breaks uh, and he falls on the ground but he then just gets up and proceeds to continue the ride but bareback so 
what about his poor googlies? Uh, but at this point, it becomes kind of clear that Lolly is disappointed by this and clearly wants to stop the ride. I guessed it was to, like, catch him herself, but there is an, a different reason later on. Beth finds Jack, the pretentious guy who only speaks in poetry, but he is, of course, of no help. Uh, but she goes into his house and finds a working phone, but then she can't use it because she doesn't know how to work a rotary dial. She's just like, this is madness! I can't dial numberers! And then she gets attacked by the butler. So it wasn't a case of like, oh no, the phone is dead. It was just, you are from a generation that does not understand this incredibly not efficient technology. So, so that's unfortunate. Lolly, meanwhile, manages to waylay Steve as he is riding and tells him not to go to the castle but to follow her. However, he was told by the Lord that people would try and trick him on the ride and he thinks that this is part of some silly Mayday game. So he ignores her and rides to the castle and thus certain death. We then return to Beth, who is face down on a kitchen table, naked and being lightly brushed with oil, which made me think, hello, are they going to eat this woman? But apparently not, because the butler says that the oil just makes her easier to peel. So that explains nothing. He then goes ballistic because he's looking for a bowl of eyes, but can only find some that are not the same colour as Beth's, because someone else has made off with them for unknown purposes. But he needs the eyes because they're special, so... Clearly they're going to turn her into some sort of doll mannequin type thing after they skin her and I guess stuff her. So she has all that to look forward to and more. Beth is wheeled into a side room on a weird medical gurney to await discovery of appropriate coloured eyes. Meanwhile Steve enters the castle followed by the riders and sits on what is not an ancient throne but is more a broken section of wall with a blanket over it. So... Maybe this is where the budget's starting to run out. But he um, is then surrounded by the villagers who advance on him threateningly. But he just keeps up this kind of bemused cowboy smile the whole time. It's really irritating. And then the Lord says, you will give your life so a new generation can live. And everyone starts taking their clothes off. And then I called it, march towards him singing power in the blood, power in the blood of the lamb. Uh, Steve is then mobbed uh, as Lolly gets within earshot of the castle, which is just close enough to hear him scream as he is ripped apart and eaten. Meanwhile, Beth wakes up on the gurney. She puts on the Mayday dress because it's the only thing she can put on in the room. And then she discovers around her in like chairs what look like wax models of Mayday Queen's past. I will point out that there are only like four of them, so it's unclear how many times they've done this before. It hasn't worked clearly because they're all, they only have like the one child who seems to be about 10, so it, it's very confusing as to why they think this is still going to work if it hasn't in the past. The cook hears her screaming as she tries to escape, and Delia, who has come home to wash Steve's blood off. Also hears this and races downstairs but Beth has discovered a skeleton inside a May Queen because she like touches one of their hands and it just kind of cracks showing the skeleton inside which is very disturbing but she then unshutters a window, climbs out and escapes. She at the bottom of like the garden of the estate meets Lolly who says that Steve is dead 
and explains that he was a sacrifice and then tries to get her to get on the horse so she can ride to safety with her. But Beth refuses because she says God has chosen her for this and will protect her and she's going to be one Mayday Queen they never forget. So she's going Bruce Willis on this and I can't wait to see how that turns out. Beth then goes to the Wicker Tree where loin-clothed villagers are gathering because nothing says I'm going to be the May Queen that they'll never forget. Like going to the place where you're meant to go, meek as a little fucking lamb. The tree is sort of made of like woven sticks and does appear to be like two people kind of entwined with their arms in the air so it looks like a tree, which I'll give them credit for is a very cool design. She then asks, where's Steve? And I'm like, excuse me, Honeysuckle Weeks just told you where Steve was. Steve is dead. Listen. But then Danny, who is the one guy in the assembled villagers who we sort of recognise from being around before, is like, Steve is dead and you'll never find his body because it's all gone. And doesn't quite let out a satisfied belch, but the intent is clear. She then, bold move, and probably the only bold move she makes in the film, pushes the Lord onto the petrol-drenched tree and throws a lit torch on him, which sets him on fire. And he goes up like a polycotton blend. It is astounding. But he burns, which is sad. And then she turns around and is all like, your king is dead. Sing for your laddie. Which makes no sense, but the villagers sing the laddie song again because I feel like maybe they feel they owe her that much. And then they slowly walk back to the village with their tails between their legs like, aw, we didn't get to set that lady on fire. But my question was, if they were going to set her on fire, like, what came first? The the peeling, then the fire, and then the stuffing? Because if you burn her, there isn't going to be much left to stuff. So either this is a confused attempt at plot or a very clever red herring. Beth, as the sun goes down and everything goes dark, runs away across the fields, I'm assuming to try and find safety. And she meets Angus, the, the one child, and he says he will try and lead her to the next village. But he leads her into an ambush because Angus is indoctrinated. So after the ambush in the spooky woods, we cut to an unspecified amount of time in the future. But I'm guessing nine months because Lolly is giving birth to Steve's child while wearing his cowboy hat. And then uh, uh, Delia holds it up to the window and goes, A son! May God send us more men so we can have more children. And uh, then we cut downstairs to where the butler and the maids are dusting the May Queens with like a feather duster uh, and hoovering. And we see that one of them is Beth. Have no fear, they did find eyes. She looks great. Overall, I think it's quite a successful film like the plot makes sense and there's some good moments in it like the bit where she finds all the the may queens sitting around like the house of wax is pretty creepy and effective as is the bit where you kind of see steve finally realize what is going on uh, and he realizes just what kind of danger he's in Unfortunately, there's a lot of unintended comedy moments, like just the little touches like Lolly wearing the cowboy hat while she's giving birth, uh, the whole business with Orlando, the police detective whose dick snapped off, uh, like the oiling of Beth's body and, and the funny search for the eyes. It's just kind of weird and stops it from being as unnerving as it could have been. I also feel like if we're going to do the thing where the audience knows what's 
gonna happen and the main characters don't you can do that but then dispense with all the leading stuff because it doesn't really make sense to have it anymore which is a little disappointing i think the film is successful in that it kind of explores different themes to the original but they're still related like this concept of performative religion for fun and profit the way that religion in america is kind of like a business uh, to these people um, making their careers on it the same way that the lord is using his religion to d- distract people from what's really going on that his nuclear power plant is kind of ruining their lives so i kind of get that and that's an interesting way to take it my issue was that it doesn't really make sense um to have that ritual because in the original wicker man they, they set him on fire in a big wicker man and that's to ensure that their harvest is successful and that is kind of based on sacrifices that actually occurred broadly speaking but this it doesn't really make sense to do that if what you're looking for is children because you like they know where babies come from why don't they just like lure 10 men there and then get them to have sex with all the young women and then kill them as a sacrifice that would make more sense because you need to balance out things that would actually work with religious significance and justification for it so that didn't make a huge amount of sense to me but um i think it's a fairly solid effort still better than the wicker man remake which it would be hard to be worse than that uh but in terms of unintentional comedy they are both kind of up there uh but i would say it was, it's a pretty good watch and if you think that maybe the original wicker man is going to be a bit slow for you and a bit dated then this is probably a pretty good replacement for it because a lot of the same themes are there it just has a lot more gore and action and stuff and a lot more nudity and sex and relationships and all that messy stuff going on throughout as opposed to saved up until the end uh although i would say that the ending is probably less disturbing because you don't really see that much of Steve being eaten. It kind of looks like everyone's just gone ham on a big old jar of blueberry jam. I hope you've enjoyed this review and are eagerly awaiting me getting to watch Midsummer because it's the next one I get to see now that I've done my homework and I'm very excited. And uh, give this video a thumbs up if you're over on YouTube. Leave me a comment. Let me know of any other films that you'd like me to take a look at. And in the meantime, I'll see you in the next one.